0: So the start of a new year is often, um, or the end, I guess, of an, of an old year, is often one of those seasons when we take time to reflect, kind of look back, and see what has happened. Uh, for many, it's the start of a hope that the next year will be better. Uh, some will look back on the previous year and thank God if, for nothing else that it's over. Um, you know, it just depends on your perspective and how your year went. Um, but seasons of reflection are good for us they really are. Uh, they often bring clarity to what really matters. Uh, reflection can provide encouragement for what we did right and instruction for what we can do better. Uh, but there's a greater level of reflection that belongs to the people of God. To us. There's, a, there's another level of reflection that we have the privilege of experiencing as followers of God. And that's what I want to focus on today. Uh, Isaiah chapter 12 is a record of events, which sounds weird. It's a record of events that have not yet taken place. So it's kind of a historical account of something that's going to happen in the future. It's kind of a weird prophecy type thing that the prophets do. Um, Something that will take place on that day. And that day being the day of what? The day of the Lord, right. So the final day of the Lord that we read about in the book of Revelation when all things are made new uh, once again. And so we have uh, the events that are, that are mentioned here in this chapter are meant to take place on that day, uh, the final day of the Lord, when the kingdom of Jesus will be established on this earth. And it is an event that will happen. It could even be in our lifetime. I know we talk about the day of the Lord being like way in the future, but you realize it could happen any moment. That's kind of cool. I mean, when I look back on 2020 and I think, wow, if Jesus established his kingdom today, none of that really matters, does it? It's gone. And, and we're just going to start everything fresh. It could happen any moment. And I think that's really exciting. Um, now, this short chapter talks about the way that the nation of Israel will respond, that the way that they will respond when they reflect on the work of God. At least those that have chosen to be enlisted into the army of God, those that have decided to serve in his kingdom and to follow his leadership, uh, that they have accepted Jesus as the anointed one sent by the Father. But I want to read from this book, and I want us to reflect on this message, because I think it's really fitting for New Year's. Um, so Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. And you will say on that day, I will give you thanks, Yahweh. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away and you comforted me. Look, God is my salvation, and I will trust and I will not be afraid, for my strength and might is Yah, Yahweh, and he has become salvation for me. And you will draw water from wells of salvation and joy, and you will say on that day, give thanks to Yahweh and call on his name and make his deeds known among the peoples. Bring to remembrance that his name is exalted. Sing praises to Yahweh, for he has done glorious things. This is known in all the earth. Inhabitants of Zion, shout out and sing for joy, for the Holy One of Israel is great in your midst. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word, and just pray that through your spirit and through your word, you would teach us about you and your character and about the work that we have to do on this earth. We pray for your name, for your kingdom, for your glory. Amen. So this chapter is a song. Um, it, it's a melody of praise to God. It's sung by the people of Israel who will one day be fully free from exile. Remember, these are exile prophets, and they're writing about the coming exile that's, that's going to be taking place in the years that they're going to spend as a people group subjected to the Assyrians, the Babylonians, uh, the Medes, the Persians, later on the Romans. They're talking about these, these empires that are going to take Israel away from their homeland and put them in exile. And one day they'll be fully free from this exile. They'll be fully free and in the presence of God, and they're going to sing this song. Now, it would be a horrible crime and a huge sin of omission if we approach this chapter and think that this is only a chapter about Israel on that day. Because this chapter is a song not just for Israel and they're leaving of exile, this is a message and a song of all the redeemed, of those that have been bought back to life through the Messiah who paid for our sins. This includes each and every one of us that has surrendered our lives to the lordship of Jesus and received the forgiveness of sins and entrance into the kingdom through faith in Jesus and the grace of God. So as we examine this song, I know we're going to talk about it the way it affects Israel, but this song is about you and me. And I want you to start by reflecting on the words you hear and thinking, how does this relate to me and my relationship with God even today? Now, some versions say you will sing in verse 1, and others actually say you will say. How many of you have in your Bibles you will sing? On that day, you will sing. Anybody have that in your Bible? Okay. How many of you have you will say? on that day. All right. It's split both ways. And whether it uses the word sing or say, the word sing is actually kind of imposed in there because it's a song, but the word is actually, you will say, it really doesn't matter. The point is that there's something, there's something that has taken place that will cause people to want to speak out that will cause people to want to sing out. Something has happened, and we're not going to be able to remain silent anymore. Ever experienced something like that? You ever have something so wonderful and so good happen to you that you just couldn't wait to tell somebody? You just had to tell everybody about it? For some of you, that's a sale. Now, now don't get offended at me. Some of you ladies, especially, you, you, you find the bargain of the century and you just can't wait to FaceTime or chat or text message a certain person that is in the same mind that you are. Like, you won't believe what, just, what I just found, right? Come on, let's be honest. Aren't some of you like that? Yeah. Some of you, it could be a car. Some of you, it could be a meal. I mean, let's be honest. Food is a great motivator for some of us. You ever have that amazing meal and you're like, oh, you have got to go over here because the, the food is amazing. There are things in our lives that happen that we just can't remain quiet about. And we're starting out Isaiah chapter 12 with this concept that something has taken place where the people of Israel will not be able to remain silent about it. They will have to speak and they all will speak. As a matter of fact, every man, woman, and child that has experienced the grace of God will be compelled to participate in this song. Isaiah doesn't say that you might sing or that some will sing. He says to the nation Israel on that day, you will say on that day, you will sing. And that phrase on that day, you will say actually divides our chapter into two stanzas of a song. Verse one starts out with on that day, you will say, and it introduces the first stanza or the first verse of our song. And in verse four, You get the exact same phrase. And on that day, you will say, and that gives us the second stanza of our song. So let us look at the chorus. Let's look at the the song. And let's start by looking at the first stanza, verses one through three. I'm going to call it the individual parts. So how many of you like to sing? You like to sing in groups? Have you ever been part of a chorus? Um, I was a part of a chorus. I was part of a quartet. Um, in, in a quartet, every person has their own part that they have to memorize and learn in a certain way so that when everybody comes together, it sounds the way it's supposed to. And you might have different rhythms and you might have, you're gonna have different notes that you're singing. Certain parts are going to be moving when others are standing still, but every person has a part in verses one through three of our song. That first stanza is about the individual parts. The first stanza is a declaration. It's a statement of what God has done. So let's read it again. And I'll read from the New Living Translation this time. In that day you will sing, I will praise you, O Lord. You were angry with me, but not anymore. Now you comfort me. See, God has come to save me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. With joy, you will drink deeply from the the fountain of salvation. He starts out by saying, on that day, you will say, quote, I will give thanks or I will give praise. Now, while our English words, thanks and praise, I don't put them together all the time. Thanks is for something I've received. Praise is for something you've done well, Right. So you did your homework well, I'm going to give you praise. You did a good job renovating the kitchen, I'm going to give you praise, right? That's, you you fixed the car, I'm going to give you praise. Th- those are things that we give praise for. We give thanks for you provided this, thank you. I'll eat all of your leftover Christmas cookies, thank you, right? So there's a difference between thanks and praise. But in the Hebrew mindset, they're very much the same. As a matter of fact, if you look at other translations of this word, And how it's put into English, it comes across as confess or acknowledge. So on that day, I will acknowledge Yahweh. On that day, I will acknowledge God. I will confess God, what he has done, not what I have done. And there are three things that are brought out in this first stanza that are acknowledged as people reflect on what God has done. The first one is God has stopped being angry. Now, this is important as a Jew, isn't it? They're facing the exile because God's mad at them. Not mad because they messed up once, but because they messed up over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again. He sent his prophets to him and said, listen, if you don't straighten out, I'm going to do this. Now, that makes sense. And God had to punish them. And God was angry with them. In fact, God wanted to wipe them out a couple of times before this. Moses actually went back up to the mountain and said, okay, God, please don't wipe them out. Think about your name. Think about your reputation. Please don't wipe them out. Remember what you said. Um, God's wanted to punish them and be, and he has been angry with them many times. And while the Israelites deserved the punishment they received, and while all people deserve the wrath of God for our own sinfulness, God, in his mercy and of his own decree, has chosen not to be angry forever. For Israel, it will mean that they'll receive relief from punishment. uh, The punishment of the nation, both politically and physically on that day. But there's more to it than that. So God stopped being angry. Why? Why did... God stopped being angry. Was it because of something the Israelites did or didn't do? No. God stopped being angry because of his mercy, because of his promise. Whatever the reason, it's nothing on our part that has kept God from being angry. It's what God has done. In John 3.36, we read this about the Messiah. The one who believes in the son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the son will not see life. Instead, the wrath or the anger of God remains on him. Every one of us deserves the wrath of God. And as we reflect on our year, you'll probably find times where you were less than perfect. Can we just admit that? That we weren't perfect saints in 2020. None of us. There are... Seasons in our lives where we definitely deserve the wrath of God and all of us, because of the sin that we're born into from Adam, deserve the wrath of God. But God sent his son so that those that would believe in him would not face that wrath or anger anymore. God has stopped being angry because of Jesus and all who accept Jesus receive freedom from the wrath of God. That means you and me. Because of Jesus, the anger of God has passed over us. I use the phrase passed over on purpose because we're talking about the nation Israel, and I want you to flash back to the Passover if you're familiar with that passage and realize that the Passover is a picture of what God has done for us through the Messiah in going past us with his wrath and with death because of the sacrifice and the blood that was shed. So the first thing, God stopped being angry. So they're going, to sing, they're going to acknowledge, they're going to praise or give thanks or acknowledge or confess that God's anger has passed, that God has stopped being angry, that God has provided comfort is the second thing. Now, we don't often talk about the comfort of God, do we? we talk about the love of God, but not always the comfort of God. We don't talk about it much, but I think we really rely on it a lot. I think we do. And I find that the, the time when I speak the most about the comfort of God is when I'm praying for others who are going through a very difficult time. And I ask God to provide comfort for them. Now, Israel's comfort will be to have their land back, to be restored back to the place that God promised them, with him living among them in their land that he swore to Abraham back in Genesis. For all who believe in the Messiah, that's you and me, There's a comfort that comes from the forgiveness of sins and acceptance into the family of God, as well as strength and encouragement that we receive when we're going through tough times. Second Corinthians chapter one is probably one of the best New Testament passages about the comfort of God. Second Corinthians one, three and four says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves received from God. Faced any affliction? Have you received any comfort? On that day, Israel will stand and say, We finally have received comfort from our God because he has relieved our affliction affliction and he has bandaged our wounds and brought us to the place that he promised but for every one of us who follow Jesus we have that same comfort that not only has the anger of god passed but the love and consolation of god has come where the passing of anger might point us to the judicial or authoritative rights of a holy god the comfort of god shows the compassion of a loving father So let me kind of show you how this works from a human perspective. I know that most of you have perfect kids. And occasionally, though, those kids can act like one of their parents and just not quite get it totally right. And you have to discipline them, right? So when you discipline children and you punish them, you do it out of love. If you just punish your children but you've never followed up with affirmation and with love, then you have only shown justice and you have not shown comfort. And I have found that loving parents not only discipline their children, because the Bible even says if you don't love your children, if you don't discipline your children, you don't love your children. But you don't just discipline and punish. You must also affirm and comfort because you love them. You reaffirm the relationship and there's this tension between the anger of God and the comfort of God. And there's really not a big tension when you understand it in that perspective, he must punish what's wrong or he's not a just and holy God, but he's also a loving father who will comfort and console us afterwards and to show us the right way and to show us that we still belong and he still loves us. I think one of the most quoted passages By Bible writers. And what I mean by that is people who've written the scriptures that we read, one of the sets of verses that they quote the most in all of scripture is found in Exodus 34. And it talks about this tension of, of the punishment of God, the anger of God, and the comfort of God. Exodus 34, six and seven, Moses is on the mountain and he says, God, show me who you are. Show me yourself. And in verse six, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is compassionate. He's a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished. Consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. There's no conflict between justice and punishment and love and compassion. They go hand in hand and they always have for God, which is why he defined himself that way. So as they acknowledge, as they look back at what God has done, they acknowledge, yes, God is a God of justice and his anger burned against him. And that has ceased. But they also see that God is a God of compassion and of love. And he has brought comfort to them in their distress And then we get to that third thing that they say, God is our salvation. God has saved us. So God's turned his anger away. He's given us comfort and He's saved us. Now, salvation is one of those churchy words, isn't it? I mean, when was the last time outside of a church conversation, you used the word salvation? Maybe saved. You can be saved from a conversation. I'll oh, thank you for saving me from that conversation. Sometimes at, at work, you'll get that phone call. And you just don't want to be on that phone call. And so you're just waiting for somebody to come in and say, I need you now. And you're, oh, thank you all think I got to go Bye. Thanks for saving me. I mean, have, have you ever had that experience? I, I know I have. Um, so we have this idea of being saved from things, but this word salvation is really kind of a churchy term. We talk about being saved from a bad situation or from a fate worse than death. We rarely use salvation outside of a church context. So what has God saved us from? What has God saved Israel from? For Israel, it's a literal salvation of they still exist. (laughs) There's a remnant. Remember, that's part of the theme of the prophets. I'm going to punish you, but I'm going to keep some of you. I'm not going to wipe you all out. So in in a literal sense, it could mean you've kept some of us alive, literally. Um, It could also mean that uh, they're being saved from the oppression of the nations around them, kind of like the exodus from Egypt, where God pulled them out of Egypt from from under Pharaoh's control. And similarly, the day of the Lord and the Exodus are designed to show the need for mankind to be freed from oppression, the oppression of sin that we inherited from the first human, from Adam and from Eve. That first sin placed a curse on all of creation. And someday that will be removed, not just from every man, but from all of creation. On that day, let's go to that, that day. On that day, all of creation will be redeemed. Check out Romans 8 sometime, especially verses 18 through 25. It says that all of creation just groans to be restored. When Adam and Eve sinned, not only were they cursed, but the very ground was cursed. All of creation feels the effect of sin. And on that day, when there's a new heaven, there'd be no need for a new earth if it wasn't also cursed. On that day, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth that'll all be recreated. However, through the work of Jesus, anyone who accepts Jesus experiences freedom from a bondage to sin and to death. Romans chapter six, verse 16. Don't you know? And if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one that you obey, either of sin leading to death or of disobedience or I'm sorry, of, of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God, although you used to be slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. Well, we will not see the ultimate fulfillment of salvation from sin until that day of the Lord. We experience salvation from sin and death through Jesus, even today. One day, all of creation will be saved from the curse of sin. The anger of God will no longer be aimed at sinful man, and our loving Father will comfort us. One day, that will happen. But today... Those that have accepted Jesus as the Messiah, as the one sent from God. Everyone who calls on Jesus experiences a partial fulfillment of this blessing. This song of the redeemed is a song about what God has done for us. Because of Jesus, God's anger is no longer poured out on us. Because of Jesus, God's anger is turned from us. Because of Jesus, God has comforted us, accepting us as his children. And because of Jesus, God has saved us from death and the effects of sin and has provided for us salvation. When you and I stop long enough from the chaos of our world to think about what God has done, it should somehow get a response from us. If I gave to you a gift I would hope at least to get a response of thank you, right? And if you get gifts, it's just like the holiday season. And if you get gifts, nobody. All right, so a couple of you got gifts. The rest of you got coal, I guess. So, when you got that gift, did you thank the person who gave you the gift? Of course you did. And if not, you better do it today because they're going to watch this video and think, "Well, that guy never did." Of course, you give thanks for that gift when you think about what God has done. It should elicit a response of thanksgiving, but it should also elicit a response of change and of lifestyle change. We read in our passage that because of what God has done, it says, I will trust in him and not be afraid. There comes a conviction that permeates our thinking. There there becomes a thought that be filters everything that we see and everything that we say when we stop and think about the salvation we have from God. We can face whatever comes without fear. I don't have to fear God, which the Jews would have been up to this point. But now that they have seen that God's anger has turned and that God's comfort is there, they can trust and not fear any longer. I don't have to fear God. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear punishment. I don't have to fear pandemics. I don't have to fear other people. I don't have to fear my finances or unemployment or my health. I don't even have to fear snow. I don't have to fear anything because I can trust God and not be afraid. In uncertain times, the rock on which we stand cannot be the small hill that we shape with our own hands. It has to be the mountain of God and the work of the rock of our salvation that has been accomplished. Isaiah 12, two says, look, God is my salvation and I will trust, I will not be afraid for my strength is Yah, Yahweh and he has become salvation for me. My strength is Yah, Yahweh. Now, that's that weird phrase that we get. So it's, it's Yah and then Yahweh. Yah is the shorter version. It's kind of like a nickname for God. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but I would be kind of, I just don't know if I would use a nickname with God. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that seems kind of very personal here. But it's kind of like the difference between Michael and Mike. Yah is like, Mike. Yahweh is like Michael. So you have his name repeated here. This only happens twice in the entire Bible, and it happens only in the book of Isaiah, where we see Yah, Yahweh. Sometimes we see Yahweh, Yahweh, but not this Yah, Yahweh. Um, And it's meant often, it can be used to show um, singularity. It can be used to show um, that this one thing and this one thing alone is what matters or is the focus here. So it could be interpreted Yahweh and Yahweh alone or only Yahweh. So Yah, Yahweh could mean this guy, only this guy, only this one. So God, he says, Yah, Yahweh is my strength. God must be our ultimate strength. God must be our ultimate song. God's victory must be our ultimate celebration. And the path to that type of living comes from acknowledging the work that God has done for us. It goes back to the beginning of our stanza. Are you exhausted from this past year? (laughs) God can bring refreshment. Are you tired from the burdens of this life? God can bring refreshment but it comes from surrendering to him and acknowledging him. When we trust in God for our salvation, it will refresh us. In Isaiah twelve three, it says, and you will draw water from the wells of salvation in joy. Now, water brings life and refl- refreshment. Um, during seasons of pain and discomfort, our ultimate deliverance by God from our sinfulness is what will provide refreshment. If you're looking for refreshment from this world, and the things of this world, you will not be satisfied. You will not be refreshed. If we look for the fact that our relationship with God is what really matters, and our nourishment and our refreshment and our joy will come from our relationship with him, then you can have a joy and a refreshment, even in difficult circumstances. Jesus pointed this out in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. We read about it. Jesus was celebrating the last of the Jewish feasts. There's seven Jewish feasts. The last one is the Feast of Tabernacles, which actually takes place over eight days. So it starts out on a Sabbath. It goes for seven more days. And the last one is the eighth day, which is the second Sabbath, which is extremely holy to God. And it's, it's the end of the seasons of, of this season of uh, feasts that are to be remembered, the last one. And we read in, in John seven thirty seven on the last and most important day of the festival of tabernacles, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, will have streams of living water flowing from deep within him. And he said this about the spirit those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the spirit for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Not only has God saved us, but he's placed his spirit in us to provide refreshment, to provide the water that we need to sustain, which is comes from his spirit. He's the bread spirits, the water, and we need both bread and water to survive. 2020 was certainly a year that tested each of us in multiple ways, stability, relationships, tolerance. And as we look back, do we see compassion and comfort of God and rejoice in what he's done or what he's provided for us? Is that what we see when we look back? When we look back, will we thank God or will we thank our government? Will we rejoice in our salvation or complain about our situation? After the year we just left behind, I I believe the message of Isaiah 12 is one that we must embrace and make part of our everyday conversation. It's what will make us a light to the nations during times of darkness. It has the power to bring peace to people, living in fear and comfort to those who have suffered loss. If you want to experience joy and freedom, then I encourage you to adopt this song of thanksgiving as your own and remind yourself what really matters. What matters is not our comfort. What matters is that God is not angry with you anymore. That God is full of comfort for you. And that God is your ultimate source of salvation. It is our position with God that matters, not our comfort in this life. It's our fellowship with the Father that will bring us true joy. Not our tax returns, not our stimulus checks, not our 401ks. It's our relationship with God. Well, that takes us to stanza two, which is a shorter stanza. Stanza two is what I'm going to call the harmonic chorus, verses four through six. The second stanza is a proclamation. The first one was a declaration of what God has done. This is a proclamation. It's telling others what has taken place. Let me say you cannot sing the second stanza until you've completed the first. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've had, Uh, some of the ladies come up and share with us um, some Christmas songs from the hymn book, right? And they said, we're going to sing the first, the second, and the fifth, or the first, second, third. And we we sang stanzas of a song, right? You, You don't sing the third and then the first, unless it's a repeat. You start with the first and you work down through. Well, you cannot sing the second stanza of this song until you've sung the first, because the second stanza is about us together declaring what God has done. And you cannot do that together unless you're doing it individually. It's like that quartet coming together. It's not going to sound right unless each part knows what it's singing, unless each person knows their part. Then when they come together, it makes a beautiful chorus. And in the song of thanksgiving, as each one of us lives in thankfulness to God, when we come together, it creates a chorus in harmony that declares the greatness of God. The melodies of thanksgiving only ring out in a chorus when each individual part is carrying out its own tune. And so it is with the melody of thankfulness. So let's look at verses four through six. And you will say on that day, give thanks to Yahweh, call on his name, make his deeds known among the peoples and bring to remembrance that his name is exalted. Sing praises to Yahweh for he has done glorious things. This is known in all the earth. Inhabitants of Zion shout out and sing for joy for the Holy one of Israel is great in your midst. And you will say on that day, by the way, this has a great ring in English, doesn't it? You will say on that day, it's got a nice cadence to it. Um, I can't do the Hebrew like David does. So I'll just do it in the English. Once we're compelled by thankfulness based upon our standing before God, we will have no choice, but to speak out. You will say on that day, what God has done. Now it says to make God's name or deeds known among the peoples. This word peoples kind of like, you know, my peoples, you know, you're, you know, our peoples. It's, it's an idea of kin, of relative. Actually the, the root word is like the word uncle in Hebrew. So it's like your relatives to the peoples. So to each other is where it says um, we're compelled to speak out to those that are around us especially those that are in the family of God that are akin tell each other about the work of God in your life. This is something we will one day do without hesitation. But What a blessing to be able to do it every day of our lives. We learned in stanza one that we won't be able to remain quiet, that first and foremost, we're going to give thanks and acknowledgement to God himself in stanza two we realize we're not going to be able to stay silent when we're around each other and also around those that don't know him. Um, around those that, that know him, we're, we're told Psalm 105 is a great psalm to, to memorize and to hang on to. Psalm 105 give thanks to the Lord and call on his name, proclaim his deeds among the people, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell about all his wondrous works, and boast in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wondrous works he has done, his wonders and the judgment he has pronounced. You offspring of Abraham, his servant, Jacob's descendants, his chosen ones. <laughs> Do you catch verse five of that? Remember the wondrous works he has done, his wonders and the judgment he has pronounced. So now you have these wonderful works and the judgment. Again, you have those two things that go together. They're both part of God's character and both a part of his wondrous work. Israel's called to tell one another about the good deeds God has done. And one day all, all men, women and children will do this. But today you and I can do this. We can tell each other what God has done. How often do you have a conversation with somebody and tell them what God has been doing in your life or what God has done for you? Or do you just talk about that dinner or that sale we talked about earlier or Or how you won at that game over the holiday. And, you know, what do we tell people? Do we tell them about the works that God has done? But if Israel only declared the works of God among themselves, among their people, then they wouldn't be fulfilling their calling that they had in Abraham. Because through Abraham, it says that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And God chose the Israelites to be a light to the nations. You can't be a light to the nations if you only stay and declare God's works among yourselves. And in this passage, it says that the works of God will be known throughout all the earth. Throughout all the earth. That's everywhere. Today, you and I can declare the works of God to all the earth. We have that ability. More so than they did back then. Back then to take that message to all the earth, (laughs) you'd have to walk there. Right? We can TikTok it, YouTube it, uh, Facebook it, Twitter it, email it, FaceTime it. we can actually even talk to people. I mean, fancy that, face-to-face. We we can actually, we can do this more now than ever before. We have the ability to declare the works of God in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, on social media, in our schools, everywhere. Students, you have a right to talk about God in your schools. Did you know that? You can. You have that right. And you should. If God's a part of your life, you should be able to share that with your friends. Just like they might share their favorite TV show with you. They have a right to share what they love. You have a right to share what you love. We have the right and we have the privilege of being able to tell the whole world what God has done. And the way we choose to talk about God and his work will determine if the people in our churches And in our community, we'll see God as mighty among us or not. Did you catch that in this passage? That God is mighty among the Israelites. And someday he will be. He'll be sitting on a throne in a new new Jerusalem, ruling his people. But in the meantime, you and I have the ability to demonstrate how God is still mighty in our midst today. We ended the first stanza with a call to action, trust in God. We end the second stanza with a direct declaration that God is mighty in our midst. And I think the last part is super amazing. If you remember the work of God has been to restore relationship. We were with God in the beginning in Genesis, we messed it up. God kicked us out of the garden, put an angel there to make sure we couldn't get back in. Right. We kept getting further and further from God. So God, knowing that we couldn't get closer to him, came closer to us. He established a people, the Jews. He set up a tabernacle where he could meet with one person who would go into the Holy of Holies. Then he established a temple, a permanent residence on this earth. Then he sent his son who came and dwelt, tabernacled among us, who came to live among us. And now... Not only is God mighty among us because of Jesus, but every one of us who has accepted Jesus has his spirit in us. We have God with us, in us, his spirit. Prior to Christ dying on the cross, no generation had that. And if God was mighty among the Jews beforehand, how much mightier should he be on display among the people who have his spirit living inside of them? But how we talk and how we act will determine whether the people around us in our churches and in our community see God as mighty among us. The Holy One of Israel, holy meaning uncommon and set apart from the common, the one who is so far above and beyond, holy, 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 so far removed from the common, has chosen to come and dwell among the common and make the common. Uncommon, by proximity, by his work alone. You and I are called to be holy because God is holy and he lives in us. We're we're called to be above and beyond the common. So it says to shout and to sing or to cry out and to proclaim with joy that the mighty God who is greater than our past experiences or our present circumstances or our future concerns is with us. Isaiah 12, 6. Shout and sing for joy, you who live in Zion, for the Holy One of Israel is with you in his greatness. Perhaps the thing that we can be and should be most thankful for is the very presence of God with us through the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you this morning with some reminders through this psalm. This psalm is a a song that's going to be sung by the nation Israel on that day. But it's a song of every one of us who has received Jesus Christ. And it's a call for us to remember, first of all, what he has done for us and what our response should be to him. He has turned his anger from us. He has comforted us and he has saved us. God's anger is past. His comfort is available for those who trust him today. But it's also a reminder that God in all of his greatness is with us today. So we don't have to face the future alone. We don't have to try to conquer the present by ourselves. Our struggles never go outside of God's reach. I want to challenge us at the beginning of 2021, excuse me, the beginning of 2021, the end of 2020. It's going to be nice to only have to write two numbers on my checks, right? of four. This two stanza song as a reminder of what the salvation of God ought to produce in our lives, words or songs of thanks to him, declaring his great work and his greatness. And it's an individual song as well as a corporate song. So my challenge to you, first and foremost, as we end 2020, can you list 20 things that God has done in 2020 that you're thankful for? Can you list 20 things in 2020 that God has done that you are thankful for? Now, I'm very confident that that if I asked you, can you list 20 things from this last year that have just gotten you ticked off or made you mad or frustrated, you could come up with a pretty good list. Matter of fact, we could probably be here all day. But the power of God and the might of God is not displayed by how well we complain but by how we see him working in the world around us and in our lives and how grateful we are for what he has done, not the injustices that we feel we've suffered. So can you come up with 20 things from 2020 that God has done that you're thankful for? None of us knows the number of days we have left on this earth and none of us can control the future, no matter how hard we try. However, every one of us can choose the attitude that we will have and the words that we will use when we face situations and people on a daily basis. Choose an attitude of thankfulness to God. Choose to use words that reflect that thankfulness when you communicate with others. I've really been blessed as I've had conversations with other people to hear things that my wife has said. Just uh, this last week, we were with um, some people and we were sitting at a table talking and she said, you know, I just keep remembering that everything that's happened in this past year, none of it's surprised God. (laughs) Right? What a perspective. We need to have this kind of perspective. That no matter what's happened, what losses we face, what challenges we've gone through, whether it's financial or health or relationships that we've lost. None of it has surprised God and he is still in control. Choose the words that reflect thankfulness when you communicate, choose an attitude of thankfulness in how you respond. And as you look back on the events of the year, do you find yourself finding ways to acknowledge God or just to complain about others? As you talk with others about the year or your week or your view on the future, ask yourself, Are the words I'm using declaring the work of God and his greatness? As I look at my future, am I thankful or hopeful because there's this change in our government or because there's this change in our business or this change in our state or there's this vaccine that's out there? Is my hope in that? Or as I look at my future, am I realizing that, you know what? God is not surprised by any of it and God is going to use all of it and God is still a good God who rescues us from our struggles and brings us comfort, and saves us. And no matter what happens in this world, my relationship with God cannot be taken away, will not be rocked, because God is a gracious God, and He is our strength, and He is our joy, and He brings fulfillment, and He brings satisfaction, and He will make us smile, and He can turn even darkness into light, and sadness into joy. How will you face 2021? Will you come to the end of it and go, Oh God, look at what you've taken away from us, which the Israelites probably did do. As a matter of fact, we know that because we studied Malachi. And God said, I have loved you. And well, how have you loved us, God? Look at what's happened to us. And God says, no, I've loved you because I have turned my anger away from you and given you comfort and saved you. I haven't given you what you deserved and what you have faced. I've carried you through. Will we be people of thankfulness? Let's not wait until that day to live that way. For today is the day of salvation, and today is the day to begin living our new reality of salvation. I want to leave you with a verse, and then we'll pray. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 4. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness, and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. And today is the day of salvation. So we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. And no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. That's not a life burst for what we've been through. It should be. May the peace of Christ, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and the joy of the Father be your strength in 2021. May you be filled with the melody of thanksgiving for all that He has done for you. Let's pray. Father, we are sorry for the words and the breath wasted in declaring the badness of things around us and the struggles we have with political leaders and circumstances and challenges of health and jobs and securities. And we're most apologetic because we know that we have wasted many more words on that than we have dedicated to thanking you for your greatness, for your mercy, for your comfort, for your love. So today, Father, we do thank you. And we ask that this year you will give us hearts of thankfulness, that you will help us to reflect on what you have done and to make that the lens by which we view our world. Thank you for turning your anger away from us. God, I don't want to give mercy to others the way you give mercy to me, but I need to. Thank you for your mercy. Teach us to be merciful. Thank you for the comfort you have given over this past year to so many who have struggled with losses and with challenges. Father, teach us to comfort others the way you have comforted us thank you for the salvation that you provide not from the troubles of this world because in this world we will have troubles but from what really matters and that's our own fallenness our own sinfulness thank you for saving us from sin and from death for calling us to life and to your family and adopting us father i pray that you would help us to in 2021 to not be able to be silent, but to declare the works that you have done in our lives and in the world around us, that we be faithful to make your good deeds known even more faithful to share that than we have been in declaring the struggles and challenges of our past year. Father, we look to you as the hope and the joy that we have in all of our circumstances. And we are thankful that our strength can come from you and you alone, and that we don't have to rely on this world or our health or a vaccine or any of that to be able to live in peace and in joy because you and you alone are our strength. Teach us to live that way. Help us to guard our attitude and our words, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for uh, being a part of our new year celebration. Um, I think next week, David's going to cover this, the rest of Isaiah or something like that. Um, okay. Probably not all of it, but uh, we look forward to spending some time again with you and God's word. Reminder, we are also doing the singing time at ten fifteen. So if you are uh, willing to come out, grab your mask and come on in. Um, and we'll be spending some time uh, in song and in prayer next week um, at ten fifteen. So, Thank you for being here. God bless you. Have a great day.